Welcome to the Beer in a Movie podcast, a podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm David Gurney. I'm here with Carlos Cooper and I'm Ethan Thompson. Back from the dead. That's right. See that we we, we had a little pause there with uh, and Ethan had a longer one. Yeah, yeah. I think right. I was well, here. No, I was just lurking. You just didn't see me. No, because <laughs> I was hiding behind. No, we that. did. We we had a guest host episode or yeah, a right. guest member we episode. Did, you, did you even one. listen to that no, episode? I haven't. <laughs> Sorry. Totally. Yeah. Well. Man. Jeremy, uh, we survived the world's greatest complainer. Pink cat. Pink cat. I should use his proper handle here. <laughs> um, from world's greatest complainer, sat in on our last episode. It was fun. Right. I see. I mean, you obviously you're trying him out. That's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying him out. You're thinking about no. pushing me out. <laughs> <laughs> he he could never replace you, Ethan. Okay. But right. uh, but but when you can't be here, maybe I, I think I think your takes on things are probably hotter than his. Actually, uh, I think. But but. Ethan brings a little more intellectual heft to his opinions, whereas Pink Hat, I feel like, <laughs> throws bombs just to throw bombs well, th- and, uh, and can't really... That's what I was going to say is 75% of the things he says, I don't believe. Yeah. But when Ethan says something controversial, he means it. And he I does. know that he means he it. Does. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, Jer- Jeremy's a prop. Uh, a little more weight to those. I yeah. have lots of complaints, and I mean all of them. Uh, I it's know. True. That's right. Well, okay. the 1900s. Before we get too far down, <laughs> <laughs> too far down the road of complaints, let's let's get ourselves some some beer and uh, and actually start talking about the movies for this episode because we're kind of getting off track here. All right, so um, we're going to be talking about. At least to begin with, Overlord uh, out in theaters currently, probably still by the time this episode comes out. Probably, and it takes place in France. Mm. And so I brought this is a terrible, but I brought a saison, which is a French style uh, of beer, and but it's made by Funk Works out of Colorado. There oh. we go. Okay, but it is a saison uh, de Brett, which is a fooder barrel aged saison ale. Um, a batch of their ale out of an 800-gallon fooder. The oak from the fooder complements the fruit and spice flavors from the Saison yeast. Is it about to go out? Yeah. Oh, we got a gusher. <laughs> a very <laughs> slow one. All right, it's um, a slow gush. Do you, do you know what a Saison is? Because I've looked it up a bunch of times, and I still can't say that I have a firm grasp. I, I know that I like them, and I like you so know, had a, num- a number of them. It's, it's a it, farmhouse ale. It is. Right. is that it is. Light, well, and it, it, so it, it, it's it's it, lighter and it often it has. It should be. It should be seasonal uh, herbs and such. Well, that's the saison okay. means season, uh, and the idea was during certain seasons, I believe maybe harvest season, that the farms would brew their own beer to sort of distribute to workers while they were out in the field, sort of doing this. It would help sustain them, and uh, it was typically, like Ethan said, lighter in body and in alcohol content so that you wouldn't be stinking drunk while you were doing the harvest. But, <laughs> but these days, um, people are a little bit more, as you know, um, ambitious with these styles. This one is actually 7% alcohol, which isn't like, we, we certainly had heavier offerings yeah, yeah. On, on here. But for your typical like everyday drinking beer, 7% is pretty... Yeah, the El Super V is like eight something that four corners yeah, does. Right. Like eight four so, But but the Brett meaning that uh it has Brettanomyces, which is a different strain of yeast 
um, tends Somewhat to bring unpredictable, out... Somewhat unpredictable. Very much so, correctly. right. So you're going to get... I listen to the podcast. Yeah, you're going to get some fruitier notes, and uh, but it pours very light and beautiful. Look at all the bubbles. It looks very effervescent, lovely, beautiful, uh, kind of golden... I no, love, I, just, I love the color. I I, I kind of was expecting like a black metal like death stout or something. With yeah, this yeah. So you know, I was trying to I was trying to find something that had like that kind of lore, like death, lord that, kind of connection. What is that Iron Maiden one that they had? There was. You could have brought that stupid Metallica beer. That it's not it's not a dark beer at all. <laughs> I couldn't, it's like a you know, or something. I had that at House of Rock the other night. Um, I, it was not a bad Pilsner actually. It's, it's not, a pretty good beer. It, I just. You Pilsners just hate Metallica. And lagers, I don't get like I don't Ooh, get them. I get I, mean, I get them. They're fine. I get they're them. fine. But if somebody came to me and said, "I want you to like collaborate with us on a beer, and I want this beer to represent like whatever it is you're about," like it's not going to be a basic style like that. And well, I think, especially for something like you know someone like Metallica who are known for being like thrashy and heavy. And, but they you know, want to be that's the they're the old old Metallica now. They want to be as mainstream as possible. Man. Well, they okay, want broad broad except. Maybe, but also Dollars and I, th- cents. I think yes. of it as a concert beer. It's a beer that you could pound three, four, five of while you're at a Metallica concert. It's not going to put you under. In fact, when I had it at House of Rock, I was there to see the Blind Owls. Oh, yeah, the and dance party. I had like three or four of them. I was just fine. Yeah. And the- this, this exchange about this Metallica beer is the most enigmatic uh, 45 seconds of what this podcast is about. <laughs> which is, yeah. So should we start talking da- about David this movie? Having being able to justify absolutely. I'm going to try really hard since, <laughs> since, uh, since I didn't actually see the film. I'm just going to try to tie Met- Metallica in at all kinds of moments. Okay. So I'm going to have to brush up on you know let's titles of songs. Okay. And stuff. You, you, I'll try to work them in. Let's see how many that Ethan can let's work. Let's go and start riding yeah. the lightning right now. Oh, okay. Right, okay. There we go. Uh, Overlord. Uh, so Overlord, right? This uh, this new film, which I didn't really know a whole lot about going into it. I don't even think I had seen the trailer, but um, but you had recommended seeing. This I saw one. the trailer probably forty five times oh. uh, because they played it at the Draft House before uh, like everything hmm. during the month of October, and I remember the first time seeing it, and I have. Um, a somewhat negative disposition towards World War II films. I feel like we're done with them. Like we've seen enough of them. Uh, Forever. For a while. For a while. Okay. I mean, goddamn. I mean, you know, if like, if after Saving Private Ryan, like we hadn't hit like a peak of what a World War II film can be, then we got Inglorious Bastards. Like, what do you? I mean, how many different directions can you take this <laughs> this plot? You know, and right. uh, and you know. Pearl Harbor sucked, and that left a you know bad taste. And they made a few of them in the 1950s, also. I know, just like <laughs> every movie Patton. was a World War II movie or an allegory about World War II. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's too much. It's, it's too much. I mean, uh, but but this what one is that? Struck- Sixty years of making movies about the same thing. Like you know, what I'm over it. <laughs> right. But this one, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting because the trailer very much reminds me of playing like Call of Duty Zombies. And which is a thing I did a lot in my younger days uh, in high school, I guess. Um, and then just the more I watched it, the more it made me like a song that I don't, I don't dislike, but I never find myself being really hyped about it. And it's Hell's Bells. It plays <laughs> when they're like walking through like the forest and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. so fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Like that song over those images is badass. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I, maybe the third time I saw it, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Right. And I would get hyped every single time. Right. And so I was like, okay, I, this, 
this could be pretty good. Um, yeah. And so, it was. So this one, as you're saying, it is set during World War II. Um, the on, night before. Right before D-Day. Yeah, the night right. before D-Day. Uh. So, so this is kind of a prequel to Saving Private Ryan, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really, but uh, but you know, it starts out as I wouldn't say as a, as a fairly um, straight ahead war film yeah. in a, in a certain sense. Um, but then after this sort of um, what what do you advanced troop sort of deployment comes in, they're supposed to go in and knock out a radio tower mm-hmm. um, to to help the D Day mission succeed. Yeah, and that. Once they make it in there, this this small uh, you know platoon of soldiers, and they start moving towards it, things start happening that kind of bring the film into a different direction, right? It do, it doesn't stay your standard war film. It yeah. actually sort of begins to incorporate lots of elements of science fiction, but then even gets into horror, like at, body at horror. Point. Yeah, yeah, it definitely takes that turn. And it wasn't even as much of like the zombies thing as I mentioned earlier how I kind of felt about the trailer like right. it, that's not what it was at all I thought it was going to be like they're trapped in this thing and there's all these like uh, you know weird like monsters coming after them and they have to like get out of some place but that right. was that wasn't what it was at all and it wasn't even as much about that as it was ju- that just an element of like the terrible stuff that they were doing there yeah um, so it, it, it didn't take as strong of like a horror like escape type of movie as I thought it was going to be which was cool because it was kind of better than if they had just done that. Right. I think. Yeah. Um, no, so I mean I I'm hearing positive things from you. I I felt pretty positive myself about it. I mean going in with fairly blank slate here. I mean I didn't yeah. really have gr- high or low expectations. I'm kind of like, okay, I want to see this, see see if it's worth it. Um it, I thought to start, the action was was really well done. I thought that whole opening sequence in the plane and then the uh, the parachute it made me kind of wish I had seen the thing in IMAX. Oh, yeah. uh, you, you know, like I know it was showing in IMAX, yeah. and I'm not usually too caught up with that. But the um, don't worry about it. <laughs> the imagery there r- really struck me as something that oh, I bet that's really intense, even more intense than when you see it on that super big screen. And yeah, probably three D, right? Was it three D? I don't know. I don't know if it yeah. was. I hope so. Not. Tell me more about the horror aspect of it. I don't get it. So okay. it's not a zombie movie. Uh, or it isn't. Like, it isn't. Okay. Well, so, they, so, not traditional zombies. So when things started getting weird in the film, and obviously spoilers, you guys already know this at this point if you're listening to this. Um, they like are kind of taken in by this French woman who is, uh, you know, not sympathetic with what the Nazis are doing that right. have occupied um, her town, her village, or whatever. And her, her aunt is sick, but she's like wheezing and making these like terrible noises and stuff. And they're like, she's sick, and they're very like suspect about that. And she's like, yeah, she's just sick. It's fine. Don't pay attention to it. And then eventually, one of them looks through the door, and she's like this mutated, like kind of ah! monstrous thing, and basically what they discover is that in this church that the Nazis have occupied where they have this radio um, interference kind of uh, signal going out uh, that they're trying to take down so that the allied troops can communicate Um, in there. They're also doing these like weird experiments on like, uh, you know, prisoners of war and stuff as they do. But what they're trying to do is as the like, uh, captain or whatever, uh, says like, you know, a hundred year regime or a thousand year year, uh, Reich needs a thousand year army. army, So they're trying to create these like 
super soldiers, super that soldiers are, that can't die and that are you know right, super strong right. and fast and stuff. Right. But they obviously haven't really like worked out the kinks very well <laughs> no. because the things that they're they're making are you know these like monstrosities. Right. Um, right. And so once all of that starts happening, that's when things really kind of uh, go awry for the U.S. troops and they have to diverge off of their normal mission, which was just to take that tower down. That was all they're supposed to do. Now they got to kill all these beasts. Well, they have to go in and save the girl's brother. Right. So that, yes. So so there's this boy in peril who gets swept up. He's like 10 or something. But they also, one of the soldiers who's really the most sympathetic, the kind of lead character Mm -hmm. in the film um, he's the one who ends up going into this facility and seeing everything that's taking place there, seeing these odd um, side effects that are that he are like, happening. Yeah, he like accidentally ends up there, right? Going to look for. Um, well, he's scouting. He's, for, he's scouting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then he ends up in this truck and gets taken yeah. in and has to find his way out. But um, yeah, he's the sympathetic one, and he. What I'm about to say about him is one of the only things I didn't like about the movie is okay. that he would uh, every like one of the soldiers that were part of this like very small platoon they all fit into your really basic standard world war ii kind of archetypes or whatever you had like the loudmouth italian guy is there a guy from brooklyn <laughs> um, yes the, the loudmouth the loud <laughs> italian guy. Uh, maybe it might be joysy i'm not they sure got two of them <laughs> it might be. Um, you had like the seasoned hardened veteran soldier that's very much just like uh but you know, in a midwestern um, one right like uh, could have been could have been yeah uh, they never they didn't get a lot into his they backstory. didn't really and then you had the one that was like character. really reluctant and is like kind of just got caught up there and is never really like about it and mm-hmm. is really unprepared. And then there's also like the kind of book smart, um, mm-hmm. uh, nerdier kind of guy, um, who isn't in it a lot, but he's in it in the very, very beginning. And then he comes back around towards the end, mm-hmm. uh, and starts, plays a more pivotal role in like the third act, I guess, uh, or late second act. But, that was my one kind of like grievance was like, okay. They went with the stock characters. They went with the, they really went with the stock characters. Right. And the, the, the guy who was the, um, the main dude, the most sympathetic one, uh-huh. I thought he was great, but it seemed pretty clear to me they wanted John Boyega and couldn't get him. <laughs> uh, he, he, he seemed like a John Boyega type. He yeah. was a, I, yeah. I'm sure in the, you know, script it said John Boyega type or, you know, <laughs> right. a, a description right. for him. And then, the seasoned veteran guy was throwing me off for most of the movie too because I felt for a long time I thought that they were doing the same thing with him, like trying to find like a gosling type or something like that because um, he looked so familiar. And then I realized it's because he's fucking Kurt Russell's kid and he looks like Kurt Russell. Oh, uh, Wyatt Russell. Wyatt okay. Russell, yeah. And I totally forgot about him. I was I only found out about him from uh, Ingrid Goes West, I think, was the first time I'd ever been oh, introduced to him like as an actor or whatever. And so when the credits rolled, I was like, oh, that's why I was like, who is this guy? Why does he look like somebody mm-hmm. that I know? Because he looks like Kurt Russell. I got to look at an image of this guy again. Oh yeah, I see it now. I mean, yeah, now that it. yeah, now, now that I'm yeah. looking at it, yeah, a I blonde Kurt Russell. Oh, oh is he? Uh, he's on that TV. Sh- is he on that TV show? Um, never mind. I, I was thinking that uh, he looks like yeah, Lodge Forty Nine on AMC. Oh right, yeah, I've he's seen the lead the, character on Lodge Forty Nine. Yeah, I haven't watched that. I've seen the commercials for it. And anyhow, I get where you're coming from about the stock character go, going with the kind of uh, typical, stereotypical kind of World War II soldier squadron. But 
given that the film is kind of doing this really ambitious thing with transitioning from war genre to this kind of thriller to horror, I think it kind of... Helps ease you into that. Yeah, so. and I, I think it works with that. It's like, it, yeah. it, it's this is, I mean, it's really, I think... At, at its heart, it's it's a pulp movie. I mean, yeah. it's a genre film. It's not trying to be something um, heady or or really where characters are really going to mean a whole lot. It, That's it's really about this, you know, odd concept that they, they've put out there, right? Like, what if we know the Nazis were doing experiments? Well, what if they got further with those experiments than we realize and they were really were working on this you know, super soldier serum yeah. that's, uh, that, that could cause these things. I'm such a hypocrite too. Cause somebody, somebody told me they didn't like cabin in the woods cause the characters in it were so stereotypical. And I was like, no, fuck you. That's a great movie. They did that shit on purpose. Like, that's you know, what's whatever. Supposed to be. And that's why it's, and I, oh man, I would like yell again, shouting matches about it. And right. Now I'm complaining about this. So does movie. it do, this seems like one of those movies that's going to, cause I keep thinking about Inglorious bastards over and over again with your description of it. Does it, and I, you said something about hell's bells playing in it. Maybe. Does yeah. it do a in whole lot of that? Like, in the trailer. Oh, yeah. In the trailer. The film, it doesn't, yeah. does it do it's that Quentin Tarantino thing with the music? throughout it no 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 it it, it's nowhere near as um as as knowing or or i i wouldn't even say it have that self-referential it's just more straight up genre yes it is pretty straight up genre and and it's it's like you know um i mentioned uh right before we started that i saw this at 10 40 p.m and as somebody who very seldom stays up past 11 p.m that's you know something i never do and kind of a tall order for me but um i didn't I didn't at any point find myself like bored or tired or drowsy or whatever because it's just like from from the very second it starts, there's like you know bullets shooting up into the plane that they're yeah. in, and it goes. It's just like floors it basically right. for the whole thing. Yeah, no pacing wise, this film does not really let up. I mean, no. there's there's a few moments where you know probably the most character development takes place when they're at the house with the. Um, the woman, you know, um, I'm trying to remember the female character. I don't remember name. any of their names. Yeah, I know. That's how, that's how quickly they go by. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, they spend some time there and they do a little, there's conversation about how they're going to go about the the uh, the plan, seeing through the plan. They, they're down so many men, they're not going to be able to do it. You start to see a little bit of character development there. But even then, things move pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, it it uh, it doesn't remain um, static for very long. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, and the way the film starts, it's so in media res. I mean, you know, in the middle of everything, you're just there. Yeah. In this plane with the, with these guys, and it's chaotic. It's loud. You can barely make out what the guys are saying as they're kind of shouting back and forth. Suddenly, like you say, bullets start ripping apart the cabin there, you know, it, it just, yeah. It, it, and it really doesn't let up until that's interesting. End. Cause I was looking at, uh, who was, who wrote it and it's the guy that wrote captain Phillips apparently. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. It is. But you know, I mean that, that is actually a movie that I would say it's, when I saw it, I was I was kind of struck by it. that's kind of how it is. Mm-hmm. Like it is action Start right away. Yeah, I never saw it. Oh, okay, yeah, it's oh. actually you know Tom Hanks in a different kind of movie. Yeah, huh. interesting. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I think for 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 somebody who likes, I mean, 
I don't know if it, somebody who loves war films is going to love this film necessarily because it really kind of subverts the typical war film, right? Yeah. If you if you're somebody who loves, you know, we started out, you were talking about World War II films and how you're kind of sick of them. Well, I know there's still an audience for them. And if you're somebody who loves World War II films, as much as this is set in World War II, as much as this is a World War II war film, if yeah. that's what's drawing you to it, you're probably going to be disappointed. But um, but for those who like action films in general, who like horror, who who like things that are kind of blatantly genre films and and are there to largely entertain, you know. And I think it gets a little bit philosophical there with like what what they're doing in terms of you know messing with humans and DNA and, and, and doing these things and, and, and what that kind of experimentation might lead to. But that's a it tiny, seems like tiny it's concern. Like, like it's a, surely someone's done that before, right? Like, surely somebody made an, a movie about Nazi experiments. Yeah. There's got to be some, like, I mean, really yeah. cheesy horror films or stuff. I think, I think there was some of that in Captain America, wasn't there, with Hydra? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, that, I was thinking a little bit of Captain America as this, yeah. like, being a close corollary, but that was the... Was that? That was the Americans, right? I, mean, I haven't seen the Americans, but I feel like in the first Captain America movie, there's some kind of something. Other project okay, going well, on, of, okay. Because I think Red Skull's doing some shit, and then there's, like, the whole super soldier serum thing. And, right. Um... It's been so long since I've seen that first one, and I didn't particularly care for it, so I don't remember, but it it did remind me of that at a certain point. I I did a quick uh, Google search here, and uh, we won't go into depth, so we can just have fun with it and not Uh be proven wrong, but (laughs) if you Google Nazi experiment movie, Uh uh, you get, first of all, Revenge of the Zombies from 1943. Huh. Sick. Yeah. She Demons, 1958, and this one sounds the best. Last Orgy of the Third Reich from 1977. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, and then, well, 76 SS Experiment Love Camp. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, there, I know there's like a whole subgenre. Well, there are, <laughs> there are lots of Nazi exploitation films yeah, um, yeah. That, that have been made over the years, and it's, it's not a particular Let's subgenre. Let's not do a special episode on that, because we will get a very, like, not the audience probably that Yeah, I think you're right. I don't know that I want to put Nazi in the episode title of anything. Carlos <laughs> we'll wants that get, one. We'll no. get banned from iTunes. Right, no kidding. Yeah, us, us along real, with though. Alex Jones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in Alex Jones. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, so, you know, I think if you're looking for just a fun escapist kind of uh, experience, great. If you're thinking something deeper, characters are going to get developed, you're going to have, you know, more of that kind of, you know, this isn't the thin red line. Okay. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're, we're not there with the war film. Um, we're going in a totally different direction. But, but it was fun for what it was, and it was interesting to uh, to kind of see it play out. And I think it's tight enough that yeah. it works, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, someone that from the first time I saw the trailer was like, nah, that looks dumb. I don't want to see that. To somebody that after a while was like, yeah, I think I will. I I really liked it. I'd watch it again. Turns mm-hmm. out there's a list on IMDb of 49 Nazi zombie films. Right. So, yeah. Well, Dead Snow right. is the best one, I think. That well, movie's I, badass. I can't claim to have seen more than maybe two of them. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Dead Snow is Yeah, I've really good. just seen Dead Snow and it slaps. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Right. Uh, All right. How well, do you feel about this beer? Uh, I was about to ask you. I, I think it's pretty good, but... Pretty good. But 
not quite as complex in the flavor as I was expecting, especially for a Brett beer. I mean, yeah. it's it's easy to drink. It's pretty light. There's no off flavors. It's not like it's bad, but I was expecting maybe or hoping maybe for something a little bit more fruity in flavor, With and I'm not getting a whole lot. I mean, I get a tiny bit of maybe apricot or something in there, but... I mean, you've been... You've been aging this one for a while, though. Um, I didn't even have to do that myself. I picked that up at Witchcraft in Austin when I was up there a month or so ago. Because this one was bottled January 2017. Right, right. So we're we're almost two years old on this, but it was one that they had um, that they had had sitting on their shelf. So they aged it for me. Yeah. Sometimes you got to pay extra for that kind of action. Sometimes, but th- this one, they, they were actually closing the shop. So oh. <laughs> they, they opened a different one. So oh, okay. yeah, they, they were getting rid of their inventory. But I, you know, th- as this is the first beer that I've had from Funkworks, I believe. And yeah, I mean, it's good. It's, I wouldn't say it's particularly over the top funky, but it's tasty. What do you think? Are you? I like it, but I, I mean, I agree. It's not super complex. It's, um, very drinkable. Yeah, I mean, it ha- it has a little of that kind of astringency, maybe that that Brett beers tend to have. I mean, I can tell it's Brett, but it's not going off. You know, sometimes Brettanomyces can really get strange and funky and and over the top. But anyway, so um, so I'm I'm enjoying it. But um, I think it's time maybe we we take a quick break and we come back. And when we come back, we're going to be thinking about the production company uh, behind. The Overlord Project, Uh, you may know it as Bad Robot, uh, headed by J.J. Abrams, and think about what they've contributed to cinema to this point. Coming back now, uh, we are going to get set to talk about Bad Robot Productions and uh, and some of their film output over the years. And as you know, before we get into talking again, we want to make sure that we have our glasses full. So I'm going to crack open another beverage. All right. And this one is Firestone Walker Sticky Monkey. It is a Central Coast Quad, as they call it. Um, a riff on a Belgian-style quad that I thought tied in a little bit here, given that uh, we're, we're in that area, you know, France, right next to Belgium. Yeah. So we can we can be a little bit loose with our interpretation, but uh, get our glasses full. A much darker beer than our last, and one that definitely has a different nose altogether. Not that funkiness, just a lot of sweetness, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking diabetes tonight. <laughs> All right. Um, so Ooh, yeah, that is. Really so with our glasses full, I think Ethan had had a, yeah, uh, was, a question he wanted to ask. I was you. curious because, uh, well, J.J. Abrams is just uh, he's a force. I mean, he's directed a bunch of movies, but he's also produced. So does many he films. have the force? He, he, he does awakening in him. Uh, <laughs> it's been there all along, perhaps uh, with the Metaflorians. I don't know. Metaflorians. Yeah, Florians. Yeah. Florians. Midi Florians. Sorry, we don't talk about that. He's got the middies. Um, <laughs> but I was just curious, like, because when I think J.J. Abrams, I think of um, uh, Super 8, um, like these sort of Steven Spielberg-esque uh, sci-fi flavored stuff. 
Um, does this film have like any of that sense that you know? Oh, this is J.J. Abrams had something to do with this. He's a producer of it. I think so. I mean, when I think J.J. Abrams, I guess the thing that I think most is science fiction. Now that's probably because I came to him through Lost. Um, I was not an alias watcher. I know a lot of people kind of knew him from them before. But um, but then just thinking about the filmic output that I think of with him, it's Star Trek series, right? He, he, he helped reboot the Star Trek film series. Um, the Star Wars involvement that he's had, like you said, Super 8, um, the Cloverfield franchise. Yeah, right. So all this stuff... Very much like sci-fi, the Cloverfield two verging on horror, so so kind of genre, but but again maybe more slightly more elevated takes on genre, but not and not sci-fi in the sense of like speculative science fiction, like I don't know, like the kind of <laughs> dorky sci-fi that pe- sci-fi people really like, more like actiony adventure. Yes, Star Wars, right. Not Star not Blade Trek. Runner, not like right. deep philosophical yeah, sci-fi, yeah, yeah. but yeah, more pulpy kind pulpy. of. Yeah. Although I guess Lost had that kind of meandering philosophical sci-fi element to it, but you know th- that frustrated people and got them yeah. angry. <laughs> but but no, with the, with the stuff that's been on the big screen, it seems like it's largely been um, that more just you know kind of fun audience yeah, pleasing. Okay. Yeah. So that that's where I see the connection. I don't know. How do you feel, Carlos? Uh, yeah, I don't think I would use, uh, I don't think science fiction is where I go to straight away. I think that I would say genre. Mm -hmm. Um, but even though I didn't know who he was at the time, I, I did watch Alias, um, Mm -hmm. a lot back in the day. And, you know, I think about the, he did Mission Impossible, one of them, right? Uh, yes, he did. He directed the third, but then began producing, I think, with Ghost Protocol. Okay. So they, I don't even, because I don't think Bad Robot actually did the, but anyway, yeah. but the last few. It, um, I, I think about that. I think about Super 8 and Cloverfield. Um, but then, I mean, I think Alias is genre where, you know, like spy espionage stuff kind of falls right. into, into that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, his stuff is about, I mean, his movies move and they, are you know about about the action they don't always get super heady but they're not stupid either right um so that's i i, I would say, I, I don't think that when i saw the trailer i immediately knew oh this must be like jj abrams but when it said like from producer jj abrams like oh yeah that makes total sense yeah that he would be involved with the project I, I would like say you know i think what you're saying about you know that they're not stupid films. I could, I could, I could say Overlord feels a little bit more stupid than his films <laughs> tend to do. I mean, I think what you were saying earlier about the, the kind of stock characters that that we have in there. I don't think the dialogue was very refined. I mean, it was, it, it didn't feel like there was a lot of artistry to how it was put together. It, it seems was, to me that it was a craftsman about, film. It's like know, that. JJ Abrams is like a quality label now. We can I, apply. This isn't just some run-of-the-mill genre movie. It's a J.J. Abrams produced. Like it's this is a seal of quality. It's not just like some other zombie movie or whatever, right? Because like he doesn't have a consistent point of view in his films. I don't no, know. Right? It's not like so. any kind of auteur. He's a successful producer, and I really like The Force Awakens, and and I enjoy his. He's films an audience usually. pleaser. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. he, he's, he's a, he is a a, a adept producer. 
yeah. and filmmaker. He's good at making movies, right? You know, and so then to to put that that name on there just kind of signifies, okay, this is going to be a well made film, even if it's a genre, right? Movie, hopefully, I mean, I think you know the connection. I can't remember now if it was you or Carlos that to Spielberg. You was you. You were saying Spielberg, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I think that's an apt connection. I mean, I don't think he has shown quite the range of Spielberg, um, even if the range has been a problem for Spielberg sometimes and, and maybe overextending himself and getting into some uh, drier dramatic territory and, and that maybe taking right, him off right, the right. rails for some people. But when it's about like putting together these films that could be just genre films like a right. science fiction or action film, he seems to be really adept at putting it yeah, together in yeah. a way that, you know, kind of works. And I, and, and I think at least my impression is for fans um, he comes across as one of them. Like he, he's one of those figures that yeah. seems like he was probably as much a fan at one time as they were. Yeah, he's making a really high budget fan uh, fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Qu- so, question because uh, the Spielberg thing has come up a couple of times. Do you see J.J. Abrams uh, at any point getting as tired or played out or as hackneyed as Steven Spielberg's recent output has mm. Well, I think that because so much of what he does is production, that he's just not, it's not like a J.J. Abrams film in the same way as. A Steven Spielberg film, a Spe- Steven Spielberg directed film. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, it's it's really like he's does he's producing so many different things. Yeah, that in the movie doesn't have direct. the same kind of stakes. It's it's not like he's won you know Oscars for director or anything like that that's at stake, or that he even has a status as an auteur. Even no, I, yeah, right. I wouldn't I wouldn't use that word to describe him. Right, although he is. I mean, it, I think you're right in terms of critical. Uh, reaction to him that he he doesn't come across as an auteur, but in terms of fan reaction, I mean, I think he's yeah. as recognizable a name as any that are out there. Yeah, these and days. I, but I think part of that comes from being a, a fan pleaser. As you yeah, know. yeah. And I, mean, I don't mean that as a you know disrespect. No, I didn't take it all, that way. But, but I just, but I but I yeah. think it's it's interesting when you start thinking about how that operates and. Certainly it's important when, I think from a critical standpoint, we're looking for certain markers of style and certain themes that come out again and again and certain types of conflict that they want to wear. And I think, you know, with him, I think that's probably not the right approach because it's not there. Now, I do think there's some interest in in certain genre elements, like I was saying before, that do tie things together. But... um, but at the at the same time, I don't get the sense that there's any aspiration towards like some sort of deeper appreciation. Well, he's a younger guy. Community. He's a younger guy, and to and yeah. he, he's coming. He's he, you don't think he's these. had his Schindler's List moment yet? He he's he no. I just mean he's like he his him and his moment is like coming after these years of the 1980s and the 1990s and the big. Tons of blockbuster filmmaking. It's like he's post Steven Spielberg. He you is. Know? I mean, yeah. He is a post Steven Spielberg. He's post blockbuster. Yeah. And yeah. anyway. Yeah. I get. I get it. Um, so you know, thinking about the. He also it, helped cre- co-create Felicity. Oh yeah. Just so you know. Not that I watched that that much, but that who was. And that was the young woman story, right? She <laughs> yes. was a college student. I don't, yeah, it's. It, I mean, it, Bad it Robot. Starred, was, uh, it was created by J.J. Abrams and starred Carrie Russell. 
Okay, right, right. Who's gone on to do some great things? The Americans. Um, the Americans. Wow, and they produce Westworld. So, I mean, obviously Bad Robot, very active in television. Yeah. But it's interesting looking over the films that Bad Robot has been involved in. I mean, only five of them have actually been directed by Abrams, and this is not one of them, right? As we were talking yeah. about before, Billy Ray was, I think, the the primary scheme, screenwriter on it. Yeah. The director for Overlord was Julius Avery. Yeah. Um. But, um, you know, looking at the the films that they've done, you know, it's interesting. Early on, Joyride, which is actually one that I I liked back in the day. It's been a long time since I've I seen, it. seen it. Um, kind of a dark uh, thriller there. And then, but then Cloverfield, we've talked a little bit about that, this Cloverfield franchise that kind of came out of that film and originally uh, put out in 2008 and then followed up in 2016 with this 10 Cloverfield Lane uh, sequel and then this year, The Cloverfield Paradox, which I have not watched yet. I believe it's on Netflix, though. So that's one that uh, that our listeners may want to check out themselves. Has anybody watched that here? I have not. Paradox. I remember when it came out, though, because it was like, I can't remember what day it was, but it was supposed to like tie in with whatever that particular like holiday or day of significance of some oh, okay. sort. I, um, I should look it up before I start right. talking about shit. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, so it was a big. They it was on they, Netflix. They made right? a big, on Netflix, a big splash. A, right. Big, um, they undermined themselves. Yeah, and it, and it got kind of negative. I think people generally like Ten Cloverfield Lane, but uh, but this one didn't get quite as as positive a response. Um, but then you know, obviously, right around that same time, him rebooting the Star Trek uh, series. Which Those has now had three films. I've only seen the first two. I didn't see Star Trek Beyond. Um, but yeah, no, I was... I, and not, I liked the first one a lot. Not being a hardcore Star Trek uh, fanatic, I, I don't think I had much stake in it, but uh, I thought they were they were pretty good films. He got involved in the Mission Impossible franchise, uh, the, the Star Wars, right, as we made mention of earlier, yeah. Star Wars Force Awakens, and now working on the... Uh, Episode nine, that is due to come out at the end of next year, I believe. So, it, it's it's interesting to see how many things he's been involved with. I think Super Eight of all of them, which kind of stands alone here, is the most Spielbergian of all of them, yeah. from from what I recall. Right about the the kids and this kind of you know a lot of ET kind of uh, parallels and. Um, I didn't close I didn't, encounters and I didn't see it because of oh, that. Okay, you thought it was going to be too. I I got on my high horse for that one for mm. sure. I, I thought was it was brick. Yeah, I, well, I thought it was pretty forgettable. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. just like, okay, yeah. yeah, it's like oh, it's sort of like yeah, it's a throwback Steven Spielberg, The Goonies meets Close Encounters right. or something, and it's yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. You, whenever I saw the trailers, I was like, oh, so this is like a little bit from a bunch of our favorite movies put into one. Yeah, I'll skip this. I've seen the movies already. I feel similar to, in a similar way to it that I that I do to Stranger Things, the series mm-hmm. on Netflix. Yeah, well, and I, I and like I, both. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say I think that I think my perspective has changed dramatically since Super Eight came out because I loved the first season of Stranger Things, uh-huh. uh, and it, it that's what it was. I mean, it was yeah, uh, it was basically a mashup of other stuff. Yeah. Um. So I, if I watched it now, I probably would, but at the time, I was uh, you know. 
I was like a film buff or whatever. Right. And I was like, oh, no, this is not uh, <laughs> highbrow enough for me or whatever. You well, know, you I, watch enough films. I was and watching you kinda... like Lars von Trier movies or something. <laughs> yeah. like, this right. is cinema. <laughs> <laughs> there is a time and a place a for Lars. We will definitely have a Lars von Trier episode. There's a time and a place for that, and there's a time and a place for like Julia Roberts movies. They're all equally valid as films. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to a certain extent, uh, give or take. But... Um, yeah, but but Overlord does fit into the genre films. That it, he does. Does. it does. And I mean, in the mashup idea, like that, I think that's going on there. Yeah, and you know, I have to I have to defend myself a little bit because you did say that of all the J.J. Abrams uh, labeled products that have uh, been introduced into the market, that this is probably the the dumbest or is a little you know, <laughs> whatever. But for me, Overlord is just as like entertaining and fun and like as much of a joyride as something like um like Sahara for instance Ah. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> it's there's not a lot of depth but it's a Ooh, it's a you are a true movie. master of puppets in this episode yeah. here huh <laughs> Yeah. Um, that, that, that well, was well, <laughs> well, I, I mean, there was, I did have one more question. So about the film, I mean, okay. So they go, they go there and they're trying to take down the tower, but then they come across, then there's all these like beast fighter things. So my question is, did they kill them all? Well, there were Presumably. all these beast fighter guys. Things. Did they kill them all? Presumably. Did they kill them all? Hey, uh, did they kill Michael Myers uh, in Hell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we always gotta leave I, it open. I, I, I would say that there was justice for all. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> all right, we're getting a little punchy here, uh, guys. So, uh, what, what do we think of this sticky monkey? As I said, the nose itself was telling me like sweetness. Yeah. I mean, a lot of caramel, uh, almost banana. I mean, it is called sticky monkey, so I'm kind of definitely getting that. And and the flavor, I I mean, it is. It's like dessert in a glass. What I'm, is the ABV on this one? This one is twelve and a half percent. So so you would have to be careful. Um, drinking that because you might end up loaded. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Of all. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well, something like that. All right. But <laughs> he went and he searched their discography. <laughs> yeah. Looking yeah, for another I'm, one. I'm, I'm, I wanted just to double check on that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, yes. So, so yes, you would get loaded if you were to drink a whole lot of this, or even just a, a, a decent amount of this. It's it's interesting. I think when you know, I'm not a huge Belgian guy these days. I, I've kind of gotten away from it, um, Belgian style uh, ales. But a quad like this, I can hang with that. It's I mean, pretty it, good. It, yeah, it it gets really rich, and you know, again, I think what what turns me off sometimes about some of the lighter Belgians is that those kind of fruity estery yeah. qualities get get a little too much, but this it all it's got it's got the the gravity of a of a really rich malty kind of beer so i like um, that yeah i think the last belgian quad that i had was the storm crusher that was a collaboration between oma gang i mm-hmm. think which is a brewery out of new york if i'm not mistaken and uh houston uh brewery brash and oh. it was a belgian quad uh, brewed with coffee and blueberries. Oh I my god, say. that sounds awesome! And uh, you know, like proceeds went to like Harvey stuff. Um, I never rebuilding had that. things. Um, 
yeah, it was uh, it was it was pretty freaking good, and I did not think I was gonna like it as much because in the beginning, before I tasted it and smelled it and everything, coffee and blueberry didn't seem to to fit. But yeah. uh, quads are uh, I'm I've been digging them lately. Well, very nice. So we've we've had some beer. We we've talked some movies. Um, you know, c- kind of wrapping up. I think if if anybody like as I said earlier, I think if you, if you like genre films, if you, if you're a fan of horror, um, if you're a fan of action, I think you're probably going to dig Overlord. It, it would be a fun night out at the movies, um, or maybe even in at your home watching it on demand whenever whenever it's coming out. Um, and uh, you know, Bad Robot. I think what they brought us. We, we didn't talk about some of the outliers. I'm kind of curious. Did anybody see Infinitely Polar Bear? At- what? <laughs> <laughs> I, or, or Morning Glory, for that matter. That that one did a little bit better. Uh, no. So there are a couple. I, saw, I did not. <laughs> there are a couple oddballs in there, yeah. but um, it, the title sounds really good. But actually, then the description sounds pretty. Yeah, but uh, Mark Ruffalo, he I like him. Anyway, um, so but but in general, J.J. Abrams seems to be giving fans what they want. Um, for for those of us who like these kind of action sci-fi films, I think there's a lot out there, um, that, or a lot that he's putting out there that that's valuable. But uh, you know, again, the, these aren't films that are winning awards. They aren't Academy Award nominees. They aren't critically acclaimed um, in in any sort of broad sense. But they are films that are delivering to fans what they want. So any, any other final thoughts on uh, Bad Robot, Overlord? Mm, I mean, I dug it. You should see it if you like having fun Yeah, and aren't particularly <laughs> squeamish. There you go. Yes, it, it, does, it does get gory it towards does get the a, end. It does get a little gory. Yeah. Um, other than that, beerinamoviepodcast.com. You guys already know what it is. That's right. Uh, and then you can also find us at Beer in a Movie on Instagram, Beer Movie Show on Twitter, and then, of course, uh, facebook.com slash beerinamovietx, uh, all those places. Great places to get in contact with us. Uh, let us know if you thought something we said was ridiculous and that you want to, uh, you know, uh, get in a, a comment, a Facebook comment argument about it. Uh, right. I'm up let for us, it. let us know if you want <laughs> pink hat to come back at some point. <laughs> I, I, I think we're going to have to see if we can rope Clint into it or maybe both of them together. Oh, that'd be great. Point. We, we could do a collab episode. We could. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check out world's greatest complainer. If you like, uh, Corpus stuff specifically, um, they have a lot to say about Corpus they and the sure culture. Uh, other than that, I mean. Until next time. I dub the Unforgiven. <laughs> <laughs>